You're listening to Hope for Today Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining in this virtual space. We believe that as you listen, Jesus will minister to you right where you are. So open up your mind and your heart to what the Word would say to you today. Thank you for joining us. And remember, Jesus is our hope for today. You know, when you look at Resurrection Sunday, there's so many different places you can go. There's the different vantage points, the different you know, vantage points of the gospel, the good news, the resurrection story, and all the things that were taking place. And just for today, we're going to go to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, I, I think, is a beautiful place to uh, begin because John was the beloved disciple of Jesus. He cared so deeply for Christ and as if he, listening, was attuned to every word and all the things he was doing. And so as we go to John chapter 20, it says, On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. Could you imagine doing that, going to a tomb and everything that's going on when it's still dark? She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloth laying there, but he did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the clothes. And what had been on the head was not lying with the linen cloth, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. And the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, then also went in, saw and believed. For they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciple returned to the place where they were staying. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting there. Jesus' body had been laying, one at the head and one at the other feet. They said to her, woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them. I don't know where they've put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Why is it, who is it that you are seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary, Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus told her, don't cling to me since I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said to her. 
Imagine being with the followers of Christ as Mary came running into the room. I've seen the Lord. Here they are. They've gathered. Understandably, there's a lot of confusion. They're emotionally tired. They're in flux. They're trying to make sense of everything that has happened in the last few days. I've seen the risen Lord. How amazing it must have been, let alone the angels in the presence of Mary, but to hear the words, he's not here. He's risen. He's risen. You know, when you look at this story and all that Jesus has done and how he continues to make things new in our life, it's nothing short but amazing. Amazing. When you wake up this morning, there's breath in your lungs, that he who gave breath to your lungs is the same one who's going to return and resurrect you to new life with bodies like his. Amazing. Amazing. This is something I'm trying to wrap my head around. It's almost as if you have to drink multitude cups of coffee to really get excited enough, but it's almost impossible to fully comprehend what he's done. Amazing. In Romans chapter 8, verse 10, we know it so well. We're told that now in Christ, if he's in you, the body is brought back to life by the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead. Romans 8.10 says, if the spirit of Christ lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. Sometimes we, we you know, eject ourselves from the story forgetting that he lives within us. It becomes this muscle memory thing and we, we go through the motions, but when we remember that he's living within us, he's dwelling, the fullness of Christ is dwelling within you, you can get excited and say, thank you, Jesus, that you're making me alive. It's a profound truth, isn't it? Something, if we were to survey, you know, everyone here today that we don't fully comprehend that in him we've been reborn. That's another part of this resurrection day. We've been brought back to life. Here and now, but not fully. Here and now, but not yet. And so we're going to go and look through a few more scriptures this afternoon of what the resurrection really looks like for us who believe in Christ. And on today... I can't help but go to John chapter eleven twenty five, where we see the words that Jesus said to Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, that when Lazarus had died and they were experiencing tremendous grief, they're having a conversation, and he says to Martha, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. The resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And don't miss this part. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? You know, this is something that took me back personally as I was meditating on this just this morning. Andrew, do you believe this? 
The statement rings forward through to today, this victory over death. And I couldn't help. I had to stop at the cemetery. I understand my father is no longer in the cemetery, but I couldn't help but stop and to touch the ground and just thank God for the resurrection hope. The reunion in the sky, the reunion in heaven. And I have to admit, Isaiah, when I reached down, I called out like Lazarus and and called again. (laughs) Because just a tremendous amount of joy, of celebration of that reunion. I felt it here. It wasn't just here. I felt it right here. Reunion with our, with our loved ones, our family and friends. This is what's happening in the story. Jesus, the one that they love, the ones they gave their life to, the ones who sold everything and gave everything they had to follow him, he's back. Jesus is back. They see the marks, those nail-pierced hands. I'm alive, guys. You know what that means? Everything that he said when they followed him through Jerusalem and Judea and all of Galilee, everything that he said was true. Everything he said true. In fact, he said that this generation would not pass away until they see the Son of Man, the power of the kingdom in its fullness. Forty years after Jesus ascended, the, the, the temple and the, the, all the blocks and everything came down, tumbling down. It was a fulfillment of his word. Everything that he said was true. So when he said that the Messiah, the Christ, must be handed over to sinners and that he would be bruised and broken, it was all for a purpose. Back to life. And yet, not just in Jesus' time with his followers, but the early church had a difficult time grasping this truth. In fact, Paul wrote the believers in Thessalonica. He said in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, so that you who... So sorry. So that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we say this to you by a word from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the archangel's voice and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, therefore, encourage one another with these words. (laughs) I still can't fully wrap my head around this. It's an incredible reality that is ours in Christ Jesus. Paul told the Corinthians, he said, in a moment it'll happen like a flash, a a twinkle of an eye, and we'll be raised. The incorruptible will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. Amazing. What do you know about the promised resurrection? What does this mean to you today? 
This is an exercise when I'm reading through scripture. My dad always said to me, Andrew, you know, when you're reading the word and you're preparing to share and uh, preach, give them something they can sink their teeth into to really grasp it. And this is a question I keep asking myself, Andrew, what do you know about this promised resurrection? And I can appreciate the Apostle Paul when he says in Romans 6, he says that this resurrection life, this future hope, is both now, yeah, and not yet. Now and not yet. And he shows for us, if you will, this experience of the taste of the resurrection now, but the fullness yet to be shown. In Romans 6, we're told this in in, uh, verse 7. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Since a person who has died is freed from sin, now if we die with Christ, we believe that we also live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again, and so death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And what I can appreciate about this part with Romans 6 and Romans 8, that here and now, because of the resurrection life, we are no longer running under the mastery of sin and death. That's not our future inheritance. Our inheritance is what we have and claim to in Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what we have. That's the hope of the resurrection. And yet what is equally true is the truth of Scripture that tells us all people will be resurrected. Everyone. We're told in Hebrews 9.27 that it's appointed for man to die and then judgment. And so Jesus, knowing this, and the the assignment, the authority given to him, he says this in John 5, 25, I tell you the truth. You got to love when Jesus says, I'm telling you the truth. An hour is coming and is now here. So remember, it's this whole now, but not yet. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, so also he is granted to the Son to have life in himself. And he has granted him the right to pass judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, because a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good things to the resurrection of life, but those who have done wicked things to the resurrection of condemnation. I can do nothing on my own. I judge only as I hear. And my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And when we take that in light of what we have as our go-to verse for hope for today, that the will of the Father in the Son is that none would perish, that none would be resurrected to condemnation, but resurrected to newness of life in Jesus. And Paul tells this to the Corinthians, and you can appreciate when doubt was even swirling in their minds, because remember, time, considerable amount of time has passed since Jesus has died and resurrected. And he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, but as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead. 
The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. And so Paul continues in this framework, this mindset, a snapshot, if you will, like a, a great painter. He's painting the picture of what this resurrection will look like. And so I ask you, what do you know about the resurrection? Listen as Paul paints these words for us in 1 Corinthians 15. And my, my, my heart this afternoon was to allow the word of God to speak to you today. He says in verse 47, the first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. That's Jesus. And like the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. Like the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. What am I saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I am telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Where this corruptible body, verse 44, is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers and sisters... Be steadfast, be immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And I've, I remember my father-in-law saying to me once, Andrew, birds of a feather flock together. And as I get older, I have a greater understanding and appreciation of what that means. That both hope and unbelief can be caught. And a great number can follow one way, and a great number can go the other. Hope and unbelief. And here the Apostle Paul is showing there's these birds of a feather are flocking together in their midst. And he's seeking to instruct them and to encourage them in the midst of these voices who are trying to sow unbelief, are trying to deny this hope of the resurrection altogether. And so Paul, he puts it to rest even before he describes what this transformation is going to look like. He says, listen, in 1 Corinthians 15, 12, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say... There's no resurrection from the dead. If there's no res resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. It's almost like he's saying, hello. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. All of it would be meaningless. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. 
And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. Could you imagine believing that? Could you imagine that the resurrection is not true? That there's no hope? You might as well just live for today, for tomorrow you die, and that's it. And so Paul's showing us, and I'm experiencing more so than times before, that there's always hurdles as we approach Resurrection Sunday. Because even this week alone, I have conversation with good friends. You know, Andrew, do you really believe that? In fact, I've been told over the years that it's a crutch, that faith can be a crutch. And that's why a multitude of people follow Jesus because they want this, you know, this, this good feeling that something's gonna happen to me when I die. But it's so much more than that. On a day like today, has the enemy tried to, to spur these lies, to try and sow these seeds of doubt into your thought life? You know, this lie, again, as I said, that you might as well live for today, that there's, there's no hope. Could you imagine committing that blasphemy, if you will? To believe that such a miracle in Christ did not, in fact, take place. But as you look to this resurrection story, Jesus as he's on the scene, he's showing them the proof. He's showing them the evidence that everything that he said is true and you can take it to the bank. Peter, you can take it to the bank. Mary Magdalene, in whom he cast out seven demons and evil spirits and sicknesses, the same one who healed her and moved in her life, when he spoke over her, when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, anyone who believes me will not perish. His words are true. The promised resurrection is true. That is nothing short of amazing. And so I wrote down this point as a reminder from myself, and I give to you today to sow into your spirit your resurrection life that you now enjoy is nothing short of supernatural. Supernatural. Think about this. I think Brad said this as he was leading us in worship this afternoon. There's no other faith in the world that feeds a God that died for you and I and is still alive. And so the hope of the resurrection means not only did he cover sins and we've been forgiven, but now we can enjoy here and now the enduring presence of Jesus. That sweet presence, and if you're a believer, you know what I'm talking about. The sweet presence, and here they're experiencing this care, they're experiencing this compassion of Jesus, and you know, it was kind of perplexing as I was preparing for today, there's a lot of um, thoughts and such in the academic world where they're you know debating well who appeared to or who did Jesus appear to first and they're trying to put everything into sequential order I don't think any of that matters at the end of the day I really don't think it matters the order of who he appeared to or the, the length of the conversation it doesn't matter but what really matters is that he's present and that he's enduring for all who believe for all who believe. And so I invite you just for a few moments to turn to John 20, verse 19. 
And it says that when it was evening of the first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Think about that for a moment. All the doors are locked because they're living in fear. After everything they've seen, they saw Jesus calm storms. They saw the dead raised. He protected Lazarus. They wanted to kill him. They couldn't. And yet now they've locked the doors. It's like, quick, Brad, get the doors. Check the exits. It says, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And so the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And after saying this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The fact that Jesus knows what we need. He knew that they were in fear. They knew that maybe doubts were swirling around. They've locked themselves in. And this can speak to us today. Don't lock yourself in from the world. And yet in the midst of it, Jesus came and and stood and said, peace be with you. How I can relate to this is in the midst of my own fear, my own thought life, and dealing of the matter of how mortal we truly are. That it's in those moments of fear and of doubt that if we, if we tune out the world and uh, align with the Holy Spirit to hear the voice of the Lord, he will calm us. And you can sense that peace as it washes over you that he's near you and never far. He spoke to them twice. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. He was present to walk with them through their doubt, to walk with them through their confusion, to walk with them through their fear. And so look at verse 24. It says, but Thomas, you got to love in the midst of it. Peace be with you, Ron. And then Thomas steps out and says, you know, when they say, we've seen the Lord, but he said to them, I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands or put my finger into the marks of the nails and put my hand into his side. I'll never believe. And a week later, his disciples were indoors again and Thomas was with them even though the doors were locked. Again, the doors are locked. (laughs) And Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, you gotta appreciate this. Peace be with you, seeks out Thomas. Put your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it to my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. And then Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. Then he realized when he says, my Lord, the authority and power in which he carried, that he was the very fullness of God because only God could accomplish what he did. And he says to Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Think about it. In many respects, that's you and I. That's how it reaches forward to us today because we are not those of the 12 or the 11, I should say in this case and beyond, that saw the risen Lord. 
I haven't seen the risen Christ. I haven't had a one-to-one conversation with him in the flesh. I can, I can feel and, and sense his presence be moved by his Holy Spirit, but I haven't experienced him like they have. And so he says to Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's you. Man, <laughs> what a wonderful place that we're in. The fact that you're here today and that you believe is nothing short of a miracle because that's one of the gifts of the Spirit, the gift of faith. The moving of the Holy Spirit in the life that you are here today and you confess Jesus Christ is Lord. And notice he said to them, I'm sending you. Receive the Holy Spirit. So he's, he's not only showing, don't be afraid. Don't lock yourselves in. I'm, I'm calling you to go. And so before he ascends, he says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go into the world and make disciples. You're going to have to leave the comfort of your living room. You're going to have to leave the comfort of your favorite marketplace. You're going to have to get out into the the highways and byways, and have difficult conversations. There's going to be rewarding conversations. You're going to be able to comfort people who have lost loved ones and say, do you believe in Jesus? I got good news for you. You're going to see them again. You're going to be reunited. You're going to be able to comfort others with the comfort you receive. And that's what's happening in this narrative story. They're being comforted by Jesus. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, we're told this. The Apostle Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ, our comfort overflows. And so after about the third time Jesus had appeared to all the followers, he appeared to Peter and he restored Peter, who had denied him and you know the whole story. But what I want to end with here today is he showed, showed Peter in John chapter 21, when he says, feed my sheep, he says, I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk whenever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. And he said this to indicate, but what kind of death Peter would glorify God. After he said this, he told him, follow me. Remember, the apostle Paul said, for just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. The resurrection that we, we celebrate today, it is a celebration. It's this wonderful, joyous knowing that we have that the fullness of God who dwelled in Christ lives within us. But as we go, as we share these truths, it's never easy, but it's worth it. Remember what Apostle Paul said, that the labor, all that you do, will never be in vain because you trust in him. 
because you trust in him. And so Jesus, when he talked to Thomas, imagine yourself in the scene just for a moment that he's speaking to us today, trust in my finished work, trust in the promised Holy Spirit who's empowered you to carry the good news and go and carry the hope of the resurrection with you. When you maybe receive a grim report from a, from a physician or so, you have the hope of the resurrection nonetheless. When you're gripped with a, maybe someone's going through a procedure or an operation, don't get down and focusing on what maybe could occur if that was their last moment because we have the hope of the resurrection. It's never finished. All that we need, I put this in big points, brother, to close it out. All we ever need to know and hone in here today is that Jesus is alive. And if he is alive, what more do you need? What more do we need? Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your living and enduring word. Lord, thank you that you've brought us back to life and that we can run with you with, with hope and peace in our hearts and with the message that you've given to us to carry your good news everywhere that we go. Lord, thank you for the ascribed righteousness that we enjoy, that we are holy and blameless and we're being sanctified thoroughly by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, as we go today, as we trust in you, as we live in you, we thank you that you've given us the evidence that you are alive and well and that you are over all things and you're working and moving through each one of us be lifted up and glorified in our life, Lord Jesus. Move afresh within us. Would you take just a few moments just to speak with him? Invite him to move in your heart. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you're bringing us to life each and every day. Thank you, Jesus. Well, we're mindful of those even now going through a various sickness and other difficulties. Lord, we thank you that the hope of the resurrection, the here and the not yet, Lord, would, would resonate with them today. And Lord, we thank you for the health by the power of your name that can come as we trust in you. And Lord, so we think of those who are going through procedures and, and different operations and such. Lord, we think that your hand is upon them and that you're not finished with any one of them. 